as we've been doing for the last, uh, last couple of months, really looking at uh, Jesus through Old Testament eyes and through the perspective of, of the Old Testament. And today we're going to be exploring a claim that Jesus made of saying, I am the light of the world. And how that proclamation, that statement was rooted and founded hundreds and hundreds of years before. So where do we start? We start back to Moses and the time of the Israelites. They were in the wilderness for quite a long period of time. And I think we've got uh, an image of what they were instructed to, to build. They were a nomadic people. They travelled around the wilderness. And they wanted a representation. And God instructed to them to build this, what's called a tabernacle. A big tent. It's a big tent, but there's so much more than that. The tabernacle there was for the Israelites, wherever they were, they, they, it was portable, they created this, and that was to them the earthly dwelling place of God. And there was a few things that constituted and that were made for this tabernacle. So we can see here uh, the offering table, which is the, the kind of the table closest to us, the golden lampstand, the altar of incense, and then you have the Holy of Holies, which was a, a separate compartment within the, within the tabernacle that was uh, covered by a veil, and in there was the Ark of the Covenant, which held the, the, the tablets of stone where the Ten Commandments had been written on Mount Sinai. Now we're going to focus, and, and the whole of this tabernacle and the offering table and the altar of incense, they all symbolise, all demonstrate, all illustrate different aspects of the character and the life of Jesus. And Jesus himself became the tabernacle. You know, this for the Israelites was the earthly dwelling of God. And then that was so beautifully represented in the man and life of Jesus Christ. And now, today, we ourselves are the tabernacle because we have Jesus in us. But today we're going to look and focus on the golden lampstand. So, I'm going to read some verses that are up here. I've put the image of, of what it probably looked like because when I read through this, I get lost. You know, I'm like, what, buds here, four here, seven here, three cups here? I, you know, just as, as I read through this, you know, just to focus on that, on, on that image. So, God instructed the Israelites, make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out, base and shaft. Its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms shall be of one piece with it. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups, shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms, are to be on one branch three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches, extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand there are to be four cups, shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches, extended from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair. Six branches in all. The buds and branches shall be all be of one piece, with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold, then make its seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold and a talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. It even had accessories. 
See that you make them according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Just, you know, I know, you know, it's not, you know, this stuff is, you know, because of what it symbolises, you know, I thought it was good to read through it. Just the detail, how precise God was with this. You know, he could have just said, yeah, make a lampstand, make it out of gold, six, six, six branches, yeah, some lights on top, jobs are good. But he was really specific. Really specific. And we, you know, I could, we could spend a whole 30 minutes going through the symbolism of the almond flowers, the reason why there were seven, seven uh, lights and so forth. But I think just the overall uh, focus here is just the specificity and the focus that God gave and the care that it took. You know, master craftsmen would have been needed to have made this. And the cost as well. It talks about a talent, so, so it would have weighed a talent, which is about 34 kilos. And 30, I looked this up, 34 kilos of gold in today's money is about 1.2 million pounds. Like, I, you know, it should have been insured. Like, the whole thing should have been insured. But, the, but that, that care, that focus, making out of one, um, one, one, uh, one piece of gold. And, and really importantly, there was another instruction that followed this for Aaron and his sons and his descendants to tend to these lights, to ensure that the flame was a, bro- was a light and lit and never extinguished and to tend to it regularly. And you can, if we start to try and think about the lives that the Israelites led at this time, they moved around a lot. There were sieges, there were skirmishes, there were battles, there was hostility on all sides. Their lives were full of uncertainty. They were promised a land. Go, you'll have a promised land, a land for your people. But for years, that never came about. There was, there was, there was, there was that uncertainty, that questioning, that worry, that anxiety that would have, would have been part of, of just, just life on a day-to-day basis. I think with the tabernacle there, that focus for this people, what a great symbol that the hope, the safety, the comfort, the assurance that that golden lampstand would have given with the lights ablaze, always tended to a critical part of the Israelite life to keep those lights on. Just the hope, that comfort, that assurance that it would have given to a people that lived in uncertainty and constant change and to, uh, you know, uh, uncertainty of, of, of where they're going and what's going to come next. And then we go, go 1,500 years in the future to when Jesus walked on the earth. And over the centuries, the Israelite people had settled and become the Jewish people. And they would have had, and they had a festival of the tabernacle, which lasted for about a week. And here they would celebrate and give thanks to the provision that uh, God gave while they were in the wilderness. And we read of an account in the Gospel of John where Jesus' brothers and disciples were planning, as as most uh, Jewish men and women would do, a pilgrimage and a trip to uh, celebrate and be a part of this week-long festival. And Jesus was hesitant to go. He was hesitant to go. Jesus' brothers were, were, for maybe some wrong reasons, trying to persuade him and tell him, you know, if you want to be a public figure, you, you can't hide yourself away. You need to show yourself 
Stop doing this stuff in secret. Go to this festival and show everyone who you are. But Jesus was hesitant. Jesus, you know, replied and said, well, for you, any time would do. Any time would do for me to show myself to a wider audience. But Jesus, being who he is and perfect in all ways, knew the perfect timing and place for this. And as the festival went on, Jesus did decide to make his way to, uh, to, to, to the group and to the festivities. And there he engaged with the Pharisees, with the Jewish people, with the, with, with, with the leaders of, of the time, taught and, and preached. And they tried to seize him, as, as many times happens. They didn't like what he was hearing. They tried to seize him. They also were questioning, is he the Messiah? Is he just a prophet? But it's no, you know, what followed was Jesus in making this declaration. What followed was Jesus demonstrating what being the light of the world actually means. Because we read after this festival of the tabernacle and Jesus still being around the temple courts, we read in, in John 8, this account... At dawn he appeared again at the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And the very next verse, the very next verse, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I just wanted to spend today just reflecting and, and, and speaking about what that meant. Maybe that woman heard that next verse, maybe she didn't. But what that meant to the people around that saw Jesus demonstrate that powerfully in how he talked to people, how he interacted, engaged with people, and what that means to us. Now, over the years, and we're talking centuries and millenniums, there's probably been thousands, tens of thousands of preachers on Jesus being the light of the world. I'm sure many of you have sat through at least a dozen in your time. And there are hundreds of illustrations and symbols and, uh, you know, uh, analogies that you could use to, um, you know, talk about Jesus being the light. But, you know, just while I've been preparing, I've been led to three in particular Firstly, the lighthouse. Now, I'm no great lighthouse expert. Don't claim, I don't know if we've got anyone, a lighthouse, 
fairly familiar with lighthouses in, in, the, uh, in today? I, oh, I can just say what I want then about lighthouses. <laughs> well, there's two, there's, I, you know, when I look at a lighthouse, there's two main purposes. Firstly, it's to highlight to ships where rocks are, where obstacles are, where they want to be, what they want to be avoiding, guiding them, providing that direction. And secondly, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a light that, that, that highlights to those ships, to people, where safe harbour is, where the shore is, where home is. A lighthouse, if we distill it down to two words, provides direction and it provides destination. And when we think about just that short account that Jesus had with the woman caught in adultery, he did both of those things. He firstly provided direction. He said to her, go, leave your life of sin. Now that is not, we don't talk about Jesus as a, or religion being a long list of don't do that and, and don't do this. But Jesus, out of love and compassion, said to this woman, leave your life, leave the parts of your life that are not good for you, that are bringing you down, that are tearing you down as a person, that are stopping and hindering you from living life to its fullest. That's the sort of direction that Jesus, being the light of the world, gives to many and wants to give to all of his children. That direction, that guiding light to say, I don't want to stop you being you, you having your, um, your interests and what you want to achieve out of life, your goals, your ambition. But I want to guide you away from those rocks, those obstacles that are not good for you, that are going to bring destruction, that are going to tear you down. Because I have a perfect plan for you. I have a plan for your life that is set out to prosper you, for you to have life in abundance and to have it in its fullest. So follow my guiding light. Stick close to me. Stick close to the light. And trust that I will get you to shore and get you home. And secondly, he provided a destination for this woman. He said to her, who is there to condemn you? They've all gone. Then I don't. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. When we think about home, when we think about a home that we want to set up for our children, it's a place of love, of safety, of comfort, of, of acceptance. Just in that one sentence, Jesus said to that woman, he said all of that. In me, coming to me, you will not find a pointy finger and a stern face. You will find a home. You will find acceptance. You will find no condemnation. You will find arms open wide. People can have, and we touched upon this last week, a very different idea of what coming to church is, what coming to God, what talking to Jesus is. But Jesus showed there, neither do I condemn you. He showed open arms. And we have, as a church, as a family, a role to play in this. In the way that we accept people into our homes, into our door this morning. 
the way that we meet people, the way that we greet people, the way that we interact and engage with people, to show that love, that acceptance, that we don't just... We don't just use an empty word of saying this could be your home from home, but what does that really mean for us as a church? For this place to be a home for people. We have a role to play, and Jesus demonstrates it powerfully and beautifully just in this account. There is no condemnation here. There is no judgment here. There is acceptance. There is love. There is compassion and there is hope for all people that come through these doors. Now Jesus made it even harder for us. He did set down a challenge. Moving away from a lighthouse, I was led to a beacon. I wonder why I was led to a beacon. Now, I don't know if anyone knows, I don't know if Barney, I'm sure, Naomi maybe, would know this particular beacon the beacon of, yeah, yeah, the beacons of Gondor, the beacons of Gondor, so, oh, specifically for Minas Tirith, all right, so I don't know if any of you read or watched Lord of the Rings, the beacons of Gondor, this specific, specific one at Minas Tirith, I'm led to believe, but throughout Middle Earth, there were these beacons that were, would be set alight uh, by uh, people in Gondor, uh, as a sign of either need for support, a cry for help. And then that, that light would sweep across Middle-earth as other beacons were then lit. You know, they would see the, the, the light from Gondor and the next beacon would be lit, like a domino effect. And we as a church, if you didn't know, called the beacon. And our mission is to shine the transforming light of Jesus in all of the lives that we meet. Now, that mission statement isn't just a nice marketing phrase to put on a website or a nice, nice uh, quote that came out of somebody's head, but it's rooted in Scripture. It's rooted in, uh, in, in, in a command that Jesus gave, a declaration that Jesus gave on our lives. Uh, we should have it just as coming up here. He said in, in Matthew, "'You are the light of the world.'" A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, this is a, this is a challenge. This is difficult because... What Jesus is talking about, when he's talking about us, me, you, shining light, it's, it's more, it is so much more than just being nice, than just being kind, than just having a smile on your face for everybody. It's, it's so much more than a, a, a little pep talk or a little song you sung in Sunday school about being a little light. It is a full-throated challenge. Of course, it starts with being, with having a smile on your face. It starts with having a nice and kind character. But it is so much more. It is so much more. The great man, a wise man, uh, Albus Dumbledore, uh, once said, you get choices in life, and I'm paraphrasing him, you get choices in life where you decide what to do, what is 
easy and what is right. You have to make a choice to do what is easy or to do what is right. Taking these words in is right, but it's not easy. Shining this light, shining this light of Jesus in us is, is behaving, is speaking, is acting in a very, very different way than what we see in our workplaces, maybe even within our families, within our schools, and within our friendship groups. It's easy to gossip. It's easy to tear people down. But it's right, to, when we're talking about shining light, to walk away from conversations. It's harder to speak words of encouragement and build people up. But it's the right thing to do. It's easier to sit down and to stay silent than it is to stand up, speak out against the injustices that we see in the world. It's easier to go with the flow and say, well, that's just the time that we live in now. That's the culture that we live in. But it's harder to be countercultural and say that the, the wisdom that we find in the Bible, the wisdom that we see from Jesus is true now as it was uh, hundreds of years ago. It's easier to grumble and moan and see faults and bad, and bad, pe- and bad light of people than it is to affect and to drive and to pray into positive change for situations and in people's life. It's ultimately easier to tear down than it is to build. It's easier to be comfortable than to be uncomfortable. All of this and so much more is about shining that light of Jesus that's in us and reflecting that to a broken and a hurting world. It's so much more than just being kind and just being nice. And us, in our humanity, we can't do it. We cannot do it. We can be nice for a time, we can be kind for a time. We can talk nicely for for, for a time. But we cannot do it without always relying and understanding that the source of this light is from Jesus. And we are reflections of that. Always going back to the source, just as Barney Barney said, taking that time to rest, to soak in the presence of Jesus, for that light to shine brightly and sustainably in our lives. And when you do this, it gets harder. Because when you do this, what you're doing is putting a target on your back. Because as Christians, we believe that there is spiritual warfare going on. That Satan looks around, prowls around like a lion for those to devour. And who is he going to waste his time on? Who is he going to focus his attention on? Those that hide their light under a bushel? Those that take the easy option? He's going to, no, he's going to focus his attention on those people who's reflecting Jesus' light the brightest. And all of those hard decisions that you make, that may make you a bit uncomfortable and put you out there, 
that's going to attract attention. And don't be surprised if you feel, you know, or, or, or get, you know, ridicule in, in the world. People say, oh, what are you doing? Why, are you, why, why do you have to act like this? Spoil, spoil things and, and make, make a scene or anything like that. You might be targeted for, for ridicule. You may in your own mind get seeds of self-doubt. Should I be doing this? Is this what Jesus really wants us to do? You know, sh- should I really be going down this path? You may get seeds and a sense of unworthiness. How, how can I shine a light in people's lives when me, myself, if people knew what went on in my own mind or the thoughts that I had or things I've done in the past, how could I shine a light that's so pure and so radiant? All of these thoughts, all of these seeds, all of these feelings are attacks from Satan, are attacks directly to stop the good things that you're already doing. So friends, if you're feeling that, give thanks to God straight away. Give thanks to God that Satan is is, is focusing on you and targeting you because you must be doing something right. But remember, between what is easy and what is right, shine in this light of Jesus, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But it's what we've been called to do and in his strength alone, we can do it. Now lastly, I was struck by this spotlight analogy. And it's a bit different. But for some people, you may be a Christian for quite a while or maybe not even be a Christian, but when you think about Jesus' light and coming to church, you sense very much a spotlight just directed straight on you. And it can be a very lonely and exposing place to a point where you just want to go back into the shadows and stay hidden. You don't want to get close to the light unless people find out who you, what you're truly like or who you truly are or if, if this light of Jesus starts to change you in ways that you don't want to be changed. But this sense of nakedness and being exposed. I had a picture of someone just under this spotlight and as, as the light got more and more intense, they had these dirty rags round them and they were wrapping them tightly, tightly round their body. They were afraid of the light, that the rags might be see-through. But they were afraid because they were so convinced that underneath these dirty rags, they were naked. And they wrapped, their, throughout their life, just wrapped these dirty rags round them tighter and tighter. And Jesus is perfect, pure light radiating on you, just saying, take and let go of those rags. Because underneath, you will not find nakedness, but you will find robes of righteousness that I have clothed you in, that are pure as white as snow. So let go, come out of hiding and embrace the light of Jesus. Embrace the life and plan that I have for you and take this light into your heart. So there's going to be a song that's just played, it's just a YouTube video. And just as it's being played, I just wanted and I ask for you all just to 
in, in, in just these moments of silence, just reflect, pray into, see what God is doing. Around three main areas of what I've just spoken about. The song's entitled Out of Hiding, and that can come in many ways. Maybe it is for you accepting God's plan over your life, like the lighthouse, the direction that a lighthouse gives, embracing that plan and letting uh, Jesus guide you and follow that guiding light. It may be to take up that challenge, to be that fiery beacon in the situations and in the lives of the people that you meet. To take up that challenge and to pray into that. Or it may be specifically on this spotlight. Your feelings of, of getting close to Jesus, maturing in the Christian faith, coming to church even, can be quite daunting, scary, exposing. I just ask, just pray into that. Because we believe that we have a God who wants the best for his children and loves to spend time with us and speak to us. So just for the next few minutes, just respond however you feel you'd like to, but just spend time with this Father God and see what he's saying to you.
Oh. 